1: to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell. On today's episode, we're taking a look back at the biggest stories from the past weekend in MLS. But first, we're going to spend a little more time on the USMNT ahead of their upcoming Nations League games. To do so, I'm joined by two friends. Up first, the conductor of the Brian Reynolds hype train. It's Joe Lowry. Hi, Joe. How are you feeling?
2: I'm honored. I'm still waiting on my new cool conductor's hat. i just wearing a... (laughs) dumb baseball cap today i would really prefer to have the conductor's hat that says brian reynolds right across the front but uh you know i, I assume there's just been sort of a shipping delay taylor maybe you, you <laughs> forgot to put it in the mail last weekend i'm not exactly sure what happened there i don't want to point fingers uh but I'll, I'll wait another few days before i start doing that i see now i kind of want to buy you that and then we
1: can just like it could be a velcro patch on the front and you can take off whichever player it is and put on the new one whenever there's a That's new tight. hype train to be established and then you can direct that hype train
2: I really like that. I can take off my Gideon Zalalem Velcro sticker finally, (laughs) put on Brian Reynolds right when it gets here, and then uh, inevitably it will change to some 12-year-old in a few years from now. That is a cracked
1: and faded Gideon uh, (laughs) Zalalem sticker, I'm guessing. Uh, Joining us as well, Mr. Positivity, Mr. Sunshine himself. It's David Goss. Uh, Hi, David.
3: Wow, you really, my ancestors are rolling in their graves with you talking about my positivity.
1: (laughs) Well, I just, I listened to the latest uh, episode of Extra Time. Uh, Doyle was not there, so I feel like you were sort of forced into the role of uh, grumpy contrarian, or was that one that you willingly took on yourself?
3: It's definitely a natural fit for me, like I would say. It's definitely my shoe size, and it's definitely a wide shoe, Mm -hmm. which is necessary for my boats of feet. And probably wouldn't be the one I chose every day, but it's one that I feel
1: quite comfortable in. And is that sort of uh, a contra- – I guess not contrarian, just sort of, you know, you're realistic. What are your realistic I- expectations for this USMNT team?
3: <laughs> well, I like happiness. So I'm in favor of happiness. But here's the thing. You have to stay level, otherwise if you get too high, you go too low. Like,
1: I like happiness is mm-hmm. a very interesting statement Hot take. to begin this sentence. Yeah, right. <laughs>
3: well, I'm trying to put that out there to make sure people are not against it. So like for example, <laughs> mm-hmm. this is just I'm gonna make uh-huh. up an example. Zero reality around it. If you think I'll pick a random team, the US men's <laughs> national team. If you think that team's gonna win the World Cup because some of the players play part-time on Juventus and Chelsea and have played for RB Leipzig, then you are going to be upset when they don't, which was unrealistic. So I like to sort of try and live – now, none of that's based in reality in any way.
1: (laughs) Of course. But I like to try
3: and sit in that space in between where sometimes people go too low. you got to bring them up. Sometimes go too high. But I like balance.
1: I want to – I just want to set the stage here. So would one of those players that maybe – there were like unrealistic unreal- expectations for B. a teenager who was often injured and didn't play a full 90 minutes?
3: No, that sounds like a player who will win player of the tournament.
1: OK, <laughs> All right. You should build I was hoping- your team around that player. <laughs> I was hoping I could spark immediate debate between yourself and Mr. Lowry, who uh, in his Backheeled article about this upcoming camp, I believe, was directing multiple hype trains simultaneously. We can figure out how to wear multiple hats, Joe, at the same time. But it sounds like you were also ready for Gio Reyna to, to do things and re- remind us all that he is uh, quite good at the soccers.
2: It's, it's Joe, time, are man. You, are you Go now ahead, in
3: on Gio Reyna? Is now the time for you and Gio?
1: <laughs> this is what it took. All I
3: needed was Some, <laughs> some sabotaging the camp from the inside.
2: That's all I needed. I needed him to show how committed he is to his <laughs> brand and his brand alone. No, I mean – like, it's just been so obvious for so long that Gio Reyna is the best U.S. player on the planet right now. Like, like the best U.S. men's player on the planet. It's It's been so clear for so long. And I don't think it's, like, unrealistic to hope. To hope, at least. I also like happiness. Just like Goss. Goss and I are the only ones. I don't think yep. it's unrealistic to hope that this camp and, like, sort of this next World Cup cycle will be something of a reset. Like, I know, and, and we chatted about this a little bit before the show started, like, it very much seems like there are still some relationships that need to be mended inside of the USMNT locker room. But, like, players play with people they don't like all the time, right? Players, they're not all best friends out there. There are things that have to be gotten past. There are professional relationships that are going to be carried on. Like, if Gio Reyna comes out here and starts to do Gio Reyna things, less so in this particular window, just because the competition isn't there. It's going to be more relevant in the summer and then increasingly relevant as time goes on and we get closer to 2026. But I would wager if Giorena is healthy, which is still the biggest concern I have with Giorena, if he's healthy and playing, not something we can take for granted, but if he is, like, you know, we're going to move past these things very, very quickly as long as Giorena is in and has actually grown and matured from this experience, which is not a given necessarily. But if he has, like, these things are going to fade very, very fast and Giorena is going to be the star of this team.
3: Let me ask this though, because I get a lot of what you're saying. The assumption with Geo, though, is, like, the player is there, the talent is there, he's all there. Yeah. But when we have a player who mentally is there, but skill-wise is not, it's like, well, they need to grow. But Geo is skill-wise there and mentally not. Sure. And it feels like in that direction, it's a pass where it's assumed that the mental side will just click. And then they'll be there, where with a skill-type thing, it's like, well, you have to build it and grow it and develop yeah. it and challenge and like. It feels like it's almost a given on the geo direction.
2: Yeah, it shouldn't be, right? It shouldn't be a given, right? I think that's why there are some caveats in with what I said. I'm hoping that this is going to be a time where we see him growing. Like, this cycle should be that time. Right? This is the perfect time after, hopefully, just the insanity that he's gone through and realized how crazy some of this stuff is. You know, we don't know any of that for sure, but we should see a different version of Geo. Arena Even if we don't, and I'm not necessarily saying that this is fair, but I think it, this is sports, if you're a talented player with a bad mentality, you are going to be given more chances than a bad player with a good mentality. I was a bad basketball player. I was a bad soccer player. I, I would like to think I had a great mentality. I tried really hard. I tried to help the team. I cared about winning. I cared about you know, continuing to grow. I enjoyed playing sports growing up. And I, I got chances out of that, but I, I wasn't getting chances to start on varsity You know, nearly as often as some of these other players. So I guarantee you I had a better mentality then. But it was worse then. like that. This is just life. Like this is sports. I think Giorena, in some ways, understandably so, should get more chances because he might be the only player in this whole pool right now that could conceivably win the win the U.S. a major knockout World Cup game. You know, compared to his peers in this group.
1: I think that's a very charitable read on Giorena. From my perspective, maybe I'm I'm just more cynical. I have. Less of an expectation, less hope that he will sort of come into this one humbled and ready to sort of prove himself again. Joe, I think yours is the more charitable view. I think yours is maybe the more For idealistic sure. view. Is there any, is there any sort of reason behind that aside from it's what you would like him to do? It's what you would like to see because it would make him better. It would make him immediately part of the team. It would probably make the team better. I'm just wondering if that's just sort of you feel like after what's happened. A, a normal person would process this and come away thinking, "Maybe right. I have something to learn about myself.":
2: Yeah, and that's, that's the answer, right? there. Is We don't really have a lot of evidence that Giorena is the more, most normal of people, nor seemingly was his upbringing or the major authority figures in his life, particularly <laughs> normal, and well said, <laughs> uh, healthy. But I will say, like in, in my experience and I know Giorena and I are very different people, but <laughs> in, in my experience in observing people as well, when you get slapped in the face with reality and i don't know how the last three months could be anything other than a reality check for giorena i I really do not even with a completely set of experiences and a completely different mentality and the way your brain works like i don't know how you can interpret the last three months in any other way and so with if we accept that as a fact which you know maybe it's not but that's that's my best guess i don't know how you could do anything but change and maybe giorena is just going to keep defying this whole thing one step at a time one uh you know, one interval at a time. But that, that's my thought process is just from observing people in, like, my own life. You know, this is going to inspire change. Maybe the change is, like, he digs his heels in even more. And that's a, that's a problem. Like, that's a real problem. But, I mean, at this point, I'd rather speculate on the positive stuff than speculate on the downside.
3: The, hard, the hardest part of this whole thing is he's 20. Like, mm-hmm. you can't accelerate growing up. There are things that can happen yeah. in your life that shift you quickly. I think a lot of people would have thought moving to Europe sort of on your own you know and and being in a professional environment would be one of those things but like that's part of the that's what makes this convo so hard for me Is like i was when i was 19 (laughs) and 18 and 17 not to everyone right but like i have teachers that will show you how how old are you now
1: should we just run that should we go 18 to 19 until present right (laughs) yeah um
3: and and so like i get it and i get a lot of it And, and joe obviously mentions the well-set authority figures in his life. So that's throwing things off even more. The talent, right? How many pro athletes, high or high prospect athletes in American history have never had to deal with their personal issues Mm -hmm. because people kind of paved the way for them. Look at John Morant right now. So like this is, none of this is, you know, easy to sort of process and figure out. I would be surprised if the whole world changed for him in the last three months. And that's where the call-up, I think, is interesting. It feels like at some point, he needs to have a reckoning. And I don't know that continuing to reward and keep him in is that reckoning. Or Anthony Hudson may have made the assessment with other people at U.S. Soccer. I don't know who those other people are, since no one else has a job right now, in saying this is, you know, man management. What he needs is to be around us more and hear us more and be influenced by the players in this group more. That's what's going to help him grow. And that's a fair assessment, right? That's the difference yeah. between players. That's the João Cancelo stuff, right? Is Pep's trying to figure out how to manage this specific player and obviously was not able to figure it out in the end, long term. So all of that's up in the air. And I don't want it. What's tough about this whole thing is, and obviously his parents didn't make it easier, it's like you don't want to dunk on a kid because he is that. And he's being put in a tough situation. I will say this is one of, I think, the issues with this U.S. soccer rebuild group is the lack of leadership that these players are following behind. Mm -hmm. I think it will only get better every single year as Pulisic and Tyler and all these guys become the veterans that the next group follows, right? DeMarcus and Landon and Clint and guys like that followed. I guess, the Claudio Reynos of the world yeah. and the Carlos and Acres <laughs> of the world and the Eddie Popes, you know, and Pablo Mastroeni and Brad Friedel and guys like that. And I don't think this team had that. And I do think that's part of the issue, but he's at Dortmund. Is Marco Royce taking this? Is Emre Jean? Like, that's the part that's really tough There's to There's zero out. chance that Emre Jean is taking this. I'll so tell then, you that right now. So <laughs> then is it just something that happens when he gets to the U.S.? Like, that's the part that's confusing, but... um. I get what Joe's saying, which is this is an elite talent. And if you can find a way to harness it, you know, if you tell him to be a dick to the other team instead of your team and that works, then you're good.
1: I'll, I'll start with a negative. I'll bring us back to a positive on this. I mean, I think to your point, Gus, like you look at, how he is with Dortmund. No, I don't think he is, is like this at all with Dortmund. Derek Ray talked about how he talked to people at Dortmund and they had nothing but positive things to say. Maybe some of that is protecting his transfer value or not wanting things to get out publicly. But, but some I of think that's looking also
3: been refuted by other sources. True, true. Okay.
1: I also think though, that you look at some of those text messages that we don't even have to say allegedly were sent by Claudia Arena, and their complaints about the, the setup, the structure, the quality of the opposition, the quality of accommodation. and, if we're talking about parental influences uh, in in a young player in a teenager's life like that has to bleed in and so like i remember talking about Pulisic playing a friendly away in Cuba where there like wasn't running water in the stadium and how do you get a guy who's playing for Dortmund and then for Chelsea up for this type of game and i think we see it with Reyna. there's probably is a little bit of a do you guys know where i play every week do you know how many people are there like this is the quality i'm coming into i can absolutely see that and i think it's maybe even more of a sign of what's to come as we get bigger and bigger names and bigger and bigger egos and and players that are even more veteran. And then when they push on into when Christian Pulisic is 32 or 33 and we're starting to look at who are the next people coming in, I think we'll see more of that clash as well. I think it's part of developing that next level of a a national team. It's just uh, growing pains along the way. And with that in mind, here's the positive for me. I would say that we are looking I think like the large percentage of U.S. fans are looking at this time period as sort of potentially wasted opportunities where if we had a national team coach in, if we had a GM in, we could sort of already be figuring out problems. And I almost see Anthony Hudson as, uh, again, comparing him to Dave Sarakin, a little bit of like a sacrificial lamb where he's the one who calls in Gio Reyna because he gets it out of the way. And now it's sort of Reyna's back in the camp. Uh, Tyler Adams won't be there because of injury. But if Tyler Adams were there, Like, you could see how we kind of get this stuff done. We get new players in. We start moving on. And and in some ways, I do feel like Anthony Hudson is mending some wounds, like carrying us on until we can actually start the next cycle. So at the very least, that's maybe a positive. We'll see how it all plays out. You can tell how positive I feel about it by the way I ended up talking like this. Uh, I don't know if that really conveys strength in the argument. Well, it's the classic new manager
3: gets hired midseason and comes and watches that first game or two. Yes. From yeah. the stands and you're like, "Bro, did you don't you have a job?" Like, <laughs> no, but I'm they kidding. don't want to take that loss. <laughs> yeah. They don't want fair. that on their record. They don't want that on their vibe. And I actually I agree with you there of like it should be a little messy and weird right after a World Cup new cycle. My only issue is I have said a couple of times I think Jesse Marsh right now should be the next ma- national team manager and I the reason I think this is the right time for that is because he plays a specific style. National teams don't have time to imprint intense styles, except if you don't have to qualify for a World Cup. You have the time to lose and make mistakes because you have nothing really to play for until that World Cup. That's the only thing I think this group is losing out on. But you have more of that because you don't have qualifying coming up. So they will play friendlies for the next three plus years to get there and so you have a little bit of wiggle room. So I I don't disagree with you that like these first two camps I don't know that you want them to be the debut of a new manager.
1: That's fair. Joe, my question for you then, if you are hopeful for change, if you are thinking this could be Gio Reyna showing us that, you know, he's just turned a page. He, he's matured a little bit. When he scores, it's a when, not an if, what is the celebration you want to see from him? Is it the fingers (laughs) in the ears, as Goss just gestured? Because to me, that's sort of a thing he's already done. That could mean, like, I'm not listening to you all. You could interpret that negatively. What would be the positive celebration, Joe? What do you want to see? Is it just a shirt that says, like, hey, my bad. Uh, Sorry, my dad texted people. (laughs) What would make you feel better?
2: That would be good. My first preference would be him finding the nearest airport in Granada. I'm not an expert on on, where that is. Finding the nearest airport, hopping across the Atlantic, heading to Leeds, finding Tyler Adams on the physio table, shaking his hand, not saying anything, but shaking his hand, nodding, turning around, flying back and playing the second half.
1: <laughs> All right, that's the celebration. A full on family guy style runs to the airport, flies to Correct. England, shakes Tyler Adams' hand, flies back, and the game resumes. Okay. I don't think uh, I'm sh- asking
2: for too much, to be honest. Like, that feels I mean, like the bare no. minimum.
1: Uh, if anything, fly him, have him do that and then fly back in uh, for the second game uh, so he can sort of leave at halftime, make that trip, get back in time for the second game. It all works out. Goss, what about you? Deal. What celebration do you want from Reyna? Uh,
3: <laughs> just the hard hands.
1: Just put some love out in the world.
3: <laughs> right? Just be easy. <laughs>
1: Oh, there's that positivity. There's that love. <laughs> uh, J- Joe, I know you're also excited for uh, Brian Reynolds, as I said in the intro. Uh, Daryl DK and his uh, massive quads that have been doing the round. Uh, the-, the-, the man, the man did not skip leg day. I think we can all agree. Uh, wh- what makes you excited about Daryl DK coming into this camp, Joe?
2: Uh, he's just in better form right now in the championship. He's not, not just scoring goals, which is a good thing that he's scoring goals, but also his underlying numbers look better. So he's, he's getting on the end of more chances. Some of the goals he's scoring come from other angles besides like a five degree angle on the right side of the box with his right foot. Like he's doing more things that you want a goal scorer to do. His production at Barnsley was always going to be unsustainable and, and he's not scoring goals the same way anymore, which is good. So he's still ending up on the, the box score stats sheet, but he's also doing other things along the way. So that's super encouraging to me. I want to see DK. I, I think at the moment he's a higher level player than Pepe. I think we'll see one of, one game for each of them in this camp because you brought two strikers. I don't know why you wouldn't split it up that way. So. Yeah, I just hope we continue to see DK evolve. Nothing he can do in this camp is going to mean that he's the answer at the number nine position. But it's it's going to be fun. Like I said earlier this week on a, on an episode, like let's just have fun in these games. We don't need to think too hard about them. We don't need to like overanalyze a bunch of stuff. But I want to watch DK play soccer against players that he's going to bully around the field. Like that sounds like a good Friday afternoon to me. Uh, what what time is kickoff for that game? I believe it is five p.m. Eastern, which means it's two p.m. for me. All right. so I, I just think, wanted to defend I've, my afternoon take from anybody out
1: there. I <laughs> know oh, I appreciate that because I was about to ask Goss if he's going to be watching the U.S. games or March Madness or if he'll have them on a split sk- screen. But I guess we won't have to worry about that because I think games don't start until 630 on Friday. So you can I, just March
3: make Madness it an all day I only like the first weekend when there's like a zillion games. I love the de- the deluge. Is that the right word? Deluge? Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. Of like a sporting event when it all comes at you and the like universality of it i don't care enough about any of the
2: teams to continue to So you love the new world cup format then huh six games a day that's what you're looking for dreams absolute <laughs> dream <laughs> my hope and dreams are that like this world cup i'll
3: be doing pre-day coverage and post-day coverage so that yes. i can stay online for the full 18 hours
2: yes you or do. whatever you but want that.
3: i will say the saddest day of the year every or saddest day of every four years is when at the men's World Cup after
1: the round of sixteen when you don't have like a ton of games anymore. Mm-hmm. It is always that when you're like midway through the group stage and it's just I need a break. And then you get to that after like the knockout round or after yeah after the knockout round when you do have that day off and it's sort of like oh no wait the tournament's ending I don't like this. what do it's I do with myself yeah, yeah exactly not gonna watch Argentina time. play France on high level games oh bring me <laughs> yeah. back bring me back Cameroon and Serbia come on. Come on. Well, yeah, before we get those games, we get USA uh, Granada on Friday afternoon. Uh, we will be back to talk about that one in more detail on the Monday show. I'm out of town this weekend. People are traveling. People have stuff going on. So we're going to do a kind of double review or a review and a preview of, of those games. Uh, but we will certainly be back to talk about them. We're going to take a break now, and then we will talk some MLS back soon. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Welcome back. We've been talking about the U.S. men's national team. Now we're going to talk about a, a different plucky underdog that people are slowly growing tired of. It's St. Louis or St. Louis City SCFC. I forget how many things I'm supposed to say and how many of them are capitalized. Joe, have you figured out the name yet? Are you able to do it succinctly?
2: I, I have. I usually just go for St. Louis because I'm actively uh-huh. fighting against the uh, the city all caps thing. Have Okay, this is a question maybe better for, for Goss. Have St. Louis fans been... Like, all up, angry at everybody. I I haven't really found, like, I I went on the radio in St. Louis last week, I think, and everybody was super nice, which is easy to be nice. I know, crazy, (laughs) right? Um, Got some non Cardinals talk for for a change. But, like, everybody's (laughs) been nice to me, and even when I was critical of the team, I didn't feel like anybody was particularly upset about it. So, I don't know, I'm I'm kind of hesitant. I know the front office is maybe approaching things from a slightly different angle, or at least gearing up to do so. But the fans, I think, have all been great so far. So I I, I got nothing but love for them.
3: Let me just say this is the same with Minnesota. Minnesota fans are great. They're like super easy. But then Adrian Heath comes out and he's like, you told us we couldn't. So you suck. Right, right. And then you're like, "Mm, okay, I didn't. But now I guess I do because you told me I do. (laughs) So that's a little bit, I think, of the vibe Taylor's taken from from what I will say. The best nickname I've seen so far or whatever is just calling them all caps. Like That's they don't say bad.
1: city all caps they just are calling the team all caps. All right, all right, the all game. caps? I yeah. like it. I like that a lot. And I and I you're correct that I don't think the fans have been partic- particularly obnoxious or laminating or anything like that. I think there was a sort of consistent feeling of maybe we'll be good, but this could be a learning experience. And then it turns out they are quite good. If anything, I feel like the frustration is from other MLS GMs. David, at what point are we going to get other GMs calling them and being like, guys, you got to ease off a little bit. You're not supposed to do this much this quickly. It doesn't work out well in the long run.
3: I think other GMs will be fine. I'm pretty sure they're in a space right now where they're like high on their own supply. And if they come to another team and they're like, we want to trade for X player, and you're like, well, that's one million in allocation, they'll be like, yeah, we would assess the best player.
1: So that is what it'll cost. So I think they'll be okay, right? <laughs> I now. see. Well, so okay, so that that gets us to like like the heart of what I would like to discuss, which is basically how have they built such a competitive team? Because I will hold my hands up and say the the like we're we're not uh, like we don't want designated players, we want a designated team, or paraphrasing that quote. It wasn't even that. It was just the way they signed DPs and had them playing with their like uh, their reserve team, basically, uh, and then didn't have them going out on loan. It sort of felt very scattershot. It felt like it wasn't a ton of MLS experience. You had a new GM. You had a new coach in the league. Uh, have, obviously, has some experience in the league, but uh, it, in terms of head coaching, I think maybe... I expected there to be growing pains and instead they have hit the ground running. Gus, how how do you feel they have been able to do this or what are the kind of major factors you see in how that stuff did not end up being a problem and if anything is part of why they've been so good or the reason why they've been so good? I've said some of this before, but I do
3: the two biggest things that stand out with them is having a system that's clear and identified so that you can assess the players that will be better for you than they are for other teams, which allows you to work the market better, and playing hard. MLS teams do not play hard every single game. That's like the reality, especially when nine teams make the postseason and you add in midweek games, Open Cup, CCL, travel. Like, I don't know Evander's health, but I was not surprised that he wasn't going to fly from Portland to Atlanta and play on turf. Like That's a reality in Major League Soccer that doesn't exist as much in other leagues. right? Brighton's surface is not that much worse than Newcastle's that you're like, oh, no, this guy can't travel for that game. You have injuries and, and load management and stuff with every league, but it's different in MLS. But if you put out your best players who are cohesive and know each other, and they try hard for 90 minutes every single game, you will make the playoffs. And that was why what they were trying to do made sense. Your margin for error goes down without the expensive designated players. That's what those DPs allow you, right? Is Zeller Ayan, Rui Diaz, Bernadeschi, they can steal you points. But the flip side is Toronto FC built a bad roster from top to bottom. They don't have depth. They don't have a ton of different players that fit together well. Um Columbus in the past has shown that as well. Uh, and lack of coaching and lack of playing hard for 90 minutes, right? Last year, Joe, I don't remember the exact number, but... Columbus dropped, like, a record amount of points in stoppage time from yeah. winning positions. Was it 12 or 13? It was something insane like that because they didn't play hard for the full set of the match. So, like, that's the other side of this. St. Louis has been um really good at those two things. I think that has stood out the most. I am not there on the, like, supporter shield race yet mm-hmm. just because the we have seen streaks in this league. It feels better when it's at the beginning, but I think Houston had a three-game winning streak last year. They did not make the playoffs, so it it feels big because it's the first four games, but I still need a larger sample size.
2: Yeah, I'll add to that. Goss, I agree with literally every word that just came out of your mouth, so this is a, a yes and from me. The press looks really good for St. Louis. You could see it this weekend. You've seen it in the past. It, it's not invincible and they will start getting burned because those are the risks you take on when you press, right? You, you be aggressive. You open yourself up in the back and you do all of these, all of these things come from your pressing actions, right? It's a risk and reward situation. It's been a lot of reward early on in the year for St. Louis. I, I think it's so smart that they've come out impressed as aggressively as they have because you watch them play in the St. Louis, uh, San Jose game three no win for, for, uh, for St. Louis is a good example of this. St. Louis under Luchi Gonzalez want to play with the ball. They were building from the back, playing out of a 4-3-3, like number six at the top of the box, center backs inside the box, full backs low, Jackson Ewell and Tommy Thompson, which is a, a nice little throwback for us, as the two number eights, like they were trying to find the ball. The wingers were wide and, and high, trying to create space between the lines. Like it was classic. We want to build. We're going to do it at all costs from San Jose. And they did it well in some stretches of the game, but you could just tell the sharpness from San Jose as a team that wants to use the ball this early in the season was nothing. It was nothing compared to the sharpness that St. Louis had playing without the ball. Like early on in the year, picture yourself as a manager, right? If you're yeah. trying to teach concepts, if you're trying to get your team up to their, their top level as soon as possible, you're not, you're not going to use the ball, right? You don't want to add another level of complexity to this. You don't want to have to go 100 and however long the soccer field is, right? You don't want to have to go that. that, How long is a soccer field? I just realized I have no idea how long a field is. 120
1: yards? 100 to 120, I think, is the minimum to maximum regulation.
2: Great. You don't want to have to go somewhere between the minimum and maximum regulation down the field to go and, and score, right? You want to go shorter distances. You want to do most of your work away from the ball. So the sharpness levels are night and day when you watch St. Louis versus other teams. Now, the the challenge with that is, the, the advantage is you start hot, right? They have a nine-point, is that what it is? Nine-point difference yeah, on, on uh, a nine-point gap. Yeah, it's yeah. it's ridiculous, right? It's absolutely yeah. absurd. So they've built themselves a great cushion, which is important because they're going to have to rely on that cushion during the summer, right? Like, pressures drop. We know this. ASA folks have gone out there and, and done the the data analysis on this stuff. Like, pressing drops from the first game of the season as you go through the summer like it's going to dip they're going to lose players to injuries that's how sports work they're going to get tired it's going to get hot all these things are going to happen so the question for st louis is you know when will the balance tip in the other direction right how long can they sustain their current form or something close to it with their style and have that sharpness advantage when will the on ball teams start to really gain at least maybe more equal footing and then maybe team quality comes into effect more in st louis i think we can agree their roster is not, in terms of top-end talent, and depth is not where a lot of other MLS teams are, but right now that doesn't matter because they're still winning games with how cohesive they are, how sharp they are, and how many mistakes their their, their opponents are making.
1: I'm, I'm surprised that you all have converted me from I don't think Roberto Firmino makes much sense for this team to feeling like he makes a lot of sense for this team. He does. Not from the necessarily from the he is also going to be this high-energy presser. I think if he were still capable of doing that for 90 minutes consistently, he would still be doing it for Liverpool. But suddenly I realize he's going. he would be going into a team that is built on pressing and high energy. That has been Liverpool with maybe the opportunity to take a game or two off here and there. Uh, and, And I start to see how that would make sense, even if it's unlikely. Goss, it sounds like you're on board for that one too.
3: Well, the biggest thing is, Joe just said it, like, When the pressing goes, when the energy goes, when there's more games, when teams adjust to you, what do you have next? And so to me, the energy boost alone of bringing a Champions League winner into your team, the way it affects the atmosphere in the club, the crowd and the team, and then the quality you add Hmm. midway through this season, I think that makes sense. And what I, and I agree with the way this has gone. Um, I believe that you should build a roster and then identify the aspects you need in your DP and bring them in. Most MLS teams identify their DPs, bring them in, and then try and build the roster around them. Let's just do pure numbers. If you have three DPs, that means you need eight starters that fit around them. And then what? You get five subs? So 16 players. So like... Is acquiring the 15 players around the DP who are part of your rotation easier than acquiring those three? And it's off and on because MLS is not the biggest league in the world. Like sometimes it is harder to find the Bernadeskis and Insignes that are willing to come and you build around them. And then other times you go in the other direction and you build out a good team and then you say, this is the piece that takes us over the top, right? This is the cherry on top, but the core, the base is there. Um, It feels like that's What St. Louis has the ability to do now because they've hit so well on all their other signings. I don't know that they'll spend that money. I don't know that Firmino's real. Like, I don't know if that's an atmosphere that they're capable of playing in, they're willing to play in, if they have the sales pitch to a guy like that to make him want to come. But I do think he would be great. And the other thing I would add is I always thought Firmino, as great as he was at pressing, his ability to create for the wingers and the guys running out of midfield. Like, he was a 10 as a 9. At some of the best moments in Liverpool's history. You had Mane and Salah going around him. And when you look at some players coming to Major League Soccer and just the high skill level they have and the way they see the game, right? You look at Zlatan. You look at Rooney playing as a 10. You look at what they're trying to do with Ace Ace. I do think the game can be easier for Firmino with St. Louis and still help them be great if you play him off Klaus. So now Klaus is battling with center backs. You've got... Leuven and Ostrak and whoever else doing a ton of work in midfield. You've got Stroud and whoever else just making run after run after run. And Firmino can kind of just play with the ball if he is that guy and be
1: that central force. Joe, do you feel like regardless of whether or not Firmino arrives, is this a model that other teams can follow? Is this the like movie... Or like the soccer equivalent of in the movie when like the teacher comes in and changes the way the whole school works or the way like the way I'm going to change the whole system. This isn't working well. It does seem a little bit like Lutz Funnensstiel has come in and said, like, yeah, I know that most teams don't start running until week eight. We're going to start running in week one. We're going to have our players playing for our like, uh, MLS next pro team. And then, uh, they'll be able to kick on and we'll scout players accordingly. It just feels like they're doing some very basic things very well. And that is difference at this point. So that's coming from a position of ignorance, certainly, uh, when it when it comes to me. Uh, but I'm wondering for you, if you feel like this is something that maybe uh, future expansion teams or even current teams will start to look at as being a potential model to follow.
2: I think I think the model has already been set out, right? I think St. Louis are getting credit for how they're playing and they should they're getting credits for the results and they should. I don't think they're the originators of this concept, right? You think about the style, and if you squinted, you'd think yeah. you're watching the Red Bulls, right? Like, they're, mm. they're doing a lot of the same stuff. There are different intricacies in how St. Louis is doing it, right? They're really committed to that 4-2-2-2, and it's been really enjoyable to watch. I, I like watching this team right now. But the, the style's not, not unique, and they're not the ones proving that the press does work well for stretches of the MLS season. The Red Bulls and Philly have both had a ton of success using that. They're, they've been some of the best teams in MLS history, or at least in the in the data era, and then the other half of this is as far as expansion teams coming in with an identity. Yes, like every team should do that, and the reality is a lot of them don't. Or it seems like the the disconnect between style and personnel recruitment is a lot mm. larger for recent expansion teams. Yeah. A lot of them than it has been for St. Louis. So they, St. Louis absolutely deserve credit, and more teams should try to go out there and assign a style. Like this is how we as a club want to play. We're going to go find a manager that fits that style. We're going to go find players that fit that style. You know, we can look at a number of past expansion teams and realize that they're they're just not doing that stuff. There have been though some that have, and I think Nashville is still the one that comes to mind for me the quickest. Not with the press, but they had a style. They said, you know, we're going to force you to break us down. We're going to attack into space. It's it's a completely different approach, but you know, it, it helped them to have success pretty early on in their life in Major League Soccer, not to this extent. I think even St. Louis fans would say it's it's likely that they're going to come back down to earth somewhere closer to where Nashville ended in their first season. But yeah, like the fact, Taylor, that more teams in MLS expansion teams are otherwise don't try to like build something like this blows my mind. Like this is the stuff that that makes me so angry. And I think we talked so much about Charlotte last week and, and maybe multiple times last week. It's like it's all there waiting for you, especially as an expansion team. Like you don't have to fix stuff, right? Doing this with Houston is a lot harder than doing it with a new team. Like, just, it it blows my mind at how poorly some of these projects are constructed.
1: Word, Uh, heard, and and (laughs) agree. And I think that, like, what I come away from a lot of this feeling, and again, maybe this is buying into the hype, maybe this is just giving too much credit for four weeks, but I think it's credit that's deserved. it, It just feels a little bit to me, like there is conventional wisdom when it comes to MLS. And if you're an expansion team, you talk to different other expansion teams and they sort of give you their notes or they don't give you their notes, depending on how charitable they want to be. But I feel like so often you come away with like, this is mostly how it works. It's this, it's that. And I just, I get the sense that Lutz Van has come in and said like, no, I don't need your notes. No, I'll do my own reading. I'll do my own studying. And I'm sure they've talked to other teams. I'm sure they followed some teams like operational structure or whatever it may be. But th- I just get the sense that St. Louis are thus far have sort of done it their own way and that is maybe a differentiator and then it's about how long they can do that and if they can like in my mind lead that sort of change and and stay at the forefront because I think if they do they will become a more if not threatening team than just a team that other GMs maybe aren't a big fans of when it comes to doing their own thing and finding success so I think they there's a reason why we've spent this much time on them or why I've wanted to spend this much time on them this week it's because I think they're a really compelling storyline, not just for what they've done, but for what they might do and what happens if they don't do it. I think it all becomes really interesting, and they're a pretty big part of why this season's going to be interesting for me.
3: The beautiful thing about what they've been able to do if, for anyone who likes this league and wants this league to be better is what they did last year cost a lot of money. Like They ran a lower division team. They signed players where they paid them probably, I'm not 100% sure, but 99, MLS contracts to play and MLS Next Pro. So they're not getting the gate revenue, they're not getting the broadcast money, they're not getting the sponsorship deals, but they're paying the salaries. Um you now have proof. So whoever is in charge of the sporting side in I don't know, Las Vegas, San Diego, Detroit, Sacramento, wherever it is next, they have this to
2: point to and say it's worth the money. And that's personally kind of offended. What you need. Guys personally offended. You didn't say Phoenix, but continue. Yeah. Phoenix. Damn it. I knew I was going to miss one of them. <laughs> uh, um
3: and that's what rich people want to see is like, why, what's my ROI? How can you guarantee me that this makes any sense? It's it's one of the reasons that the Academy stuff was really hard. You couldn't prove to the owners that it was worth doing for them for a really long time until a team started doing it like Dallas and making money. And then everyone else got on board. Um, and so I think St. Louis has set that up. And I agree with Joe. I said it a few weeks on the sh- ago on the show, I think Nashville is in that, in that idea. But Nashville, like Minnesota Like Cincinnati came out of lower division teams. This one's a little different. So, with them, it was continue to operate the team that you are already operating and try and bring some pieces in. Cincinnati was a show. They were put together too late. They didn't properly staff out. That is unique in what happened. And I think Charlotte actually proved last year in a lot of what Lutz has built in St. Louis, which was halfway through the year, they went out and traded for MLS veterans, and they got better. So that alone is like, oh, look, seven 19-year-olds from Ecuador isn't going to win in year one, but Derek Jones helped us a ton and made us better. Harrison Offal has made us a better team. Andre Shinyashiki has made us a better team. Daniel Rios has made us a better team. Oh, if you're another team looking at that, your hope would be... What you took away was not, oh, Ecuador is not the spot. Let's go to Colombia. And what you took away was what worked in the second half. You could start the season with.
1: I am comfortable with this show being a St. Louis podcast. I am not comfortable with it being a Charlotte podcast when Ryan Bailey isn't even on the show. So rather than continuing to discuss Charlotte, I'm going to say let's take a break and let's come back to talk about a different struggling team back soon.
0: This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for the best
3: place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot.
2: Our partner StubHub,
1: Welcome back. Joe Lowry, uh, I have a question for you, and it's just Sporting Kansas City question mark. Uh, second bottom in the West, four games played, two draws, two losses, one goal
2: scored. What's the deal, Joe? Make it all make sense. Injuries. I'm going to keep beating this drum until like the roster is somewhat cohesive and ready to go. But for me, 95 percent, maybe that's a little high, but I'm going to rock with 95 percent because no one can prove me wrong. of their problems preventing them from playing at, at, at like a top four rate in the Western Conference are stemming from all of the players they've had out injured, right? We're still not seeing a lot of different key signings for them. We're still not seeing Radoja playing for this team in a starting role. He gets off the bench against Dallas, which is a good sign, but he's a player they're counting on to be a really important central midfielder for them. The other factors here: the center back situation is still not solved. That's not an injury situation necessarily, although it was started by injury. They're waiting on Rosero to to come and really be integrated into this team. That's a player that they're counting on. We're still not seeing Alan Polito. We're still not seeing Gadi Kinda. Those are the two DPS that they played virtually all of last season without. Like this team could be missing one, two, three. There's a left back situation as well. Johnny Russell. Yeah, I didn't even go down the list all the way. They could be missing like six starters and. There's a handful of other MLS teams that are in a similar situation, and a, and a number of those have started better than Sporting Kansas City. So those aren't the only excuses that Peter Vermees gets to toss out here. There are other issues with this team and how they've been built. I think age, in general, lack of speed is a real concern as well. Like you look at the spine, you look at even the, the fullbacks, Ben Sweat and Graham Zusi started on Saturday. That's not ideal for any team in Major League Soccer at this point. So, you know, there are some other flaws with this team. I'm not saying they're going to be, and I I don't think I've ever said that they're going to be the best team in the league, even fully fit, but I'm just super hesitant to read too much into basically anything going on with SKC right now. Where did you say they would be, Joe? Second, second in the West, I think, is where I so have. So not the best, not maybe the best third. Team in the league, just the second best. Maybe third. Yeah, like Man, I think they could be a Galaxy top six SKC team in MLS. You're doing a number on you, Joe. I think they could. Yeah, Galaxy. I feel I, honestly, I feel way worse about the Galaxy <laughs> right now than I do about Sporting yeah. Kansas City. Like the Galaxy have been playing bad soccer. I think Sporting Kansas City have been playing good, good ish soccer, and when they have the rest of the pieces, could play great soccer. So I still feel, oh. I still feel good about SKC. I would say on SKC
3: too. So the injuries. Let me say this. So there's there was like two major concerns with SKC coming to this year, injuries and the defense. They haven't con- they conceded two goals in Dallas. Otherwise, they basically haven't conceded a goal all season since Portland got a pretty fluky goal 2 days after the game was supposed to kick off after the snow in Portland. I actually think Volitaires looked fine, which is really good news for them. Fontes has looked fine. That's also pretty good news. Remy Falter has played really well. Those were all things that I didn't, I wasn't sure of. So I actually think there's a level of positivity where I feel more negative than I thought I would is we were told all off season, Kinda will take a little while, but Polito's going to be ready. Polito's going to be there. So now we're four games in. Polito is week to week. Don't tell me someone's week to week for six years. They're no longer week to week. That's just a thing you say. So that's where the concern for me comes is how long will Johnny Russell be out? How close is Alan Polito? Will Gotti Kinda play this year? And when we thought it was, they just have to get, they just have to bridge the gap until those guys get back. Now it's starting to feel like they may not come back. And that's a concern for this team because clearly the group out there isn't good enough to challenge at the level that me and Joe both expect them to. And so they've solved some stuff. They've been better. Like if we had told you even, okay, you'd like to score some goals. They've got two points from four games. But if we had told you it had come because they tied 0-0 and not 3-3 before the season, you'd be like, oh, that's a positive development for Sporting KC. So some things have gone right. Some things I think are improved, but the entire season hinges on the players that are out. And those players have either been out for a really long time,
1: so we don't know how long it'll take to come back, or are aging like Johnny Russell. So things are going great. Uh, I'm going to see them this weekend. Uh, I guess I should be expecting for maybe not many goals on the Kansas City front versus Seattle.
3: Oof. That's an interesting matchup. <laughs> I will leave you with this. If you have not watched it recently or remember, last year in Seattle, Tim Muglia, um body slamming. I can't remember who it was for Seattle in the goal, and it became like the calling oh, yeah moment for all Seattle fans throughout the season, and they're doing WWE memes and all that, so there should be a little juice to this one.
1: All right. Uh, Is this, then, a team in Sporting Kansas City that we're talking about, like, success would be weather the storm, get some people back, figure out a few things that they haven't yet figured out, and then sneak into the playoffs and then see what happens? Is that sort of what
2: we're looking at? No. Like, I I still think their ceiling has to be higher. Like, their expectations have to be higher, even if... They're still not like all together, and and still not all there in a month. Like the the West to me, and I guess I'm curious about what you think on this. The West to me just feels so bad. Like it feels so so incredibly bad. Trash, so like LAFC are good. <laughs> I, I feel I I think we all know that LAFC are good. Seattle, I, I'm pretty very sure that they're good as well. St. Louis, <laughs> their hot start is going to do a lot for them, and I think they are they're far better than I thought they'd be, and I think they absolutely will make the playoffs. Dallas gosh, sorry about this I'm not I'm not totally sold on them but even I'll put them in the middle tier and then you're looking at Minnesota Austin St. Louis who've shown already they have i uh, sorry San Jose my bad I've done that a bunch of times on the show San Jose have, have proven that they're a good team but they don't have depth and when they don't have depth and they're missing key players they look beatable like very beatable Houston eh RSL Portland Vancouver LA Colorado, like the west is just so awful and I think sporting Kansas City has more than enough quality and should expect of themselves to be like a top four, top five team fighting for a home playoff game and a high seed in the West.
3: I agree with you on the West. Um, I've said for the last year, I think the East is better. And I think there's just more co- there's more cohesive squads that you know what you're going to get from them. Um, I think it's fair to put Dallas in that spot just below right now because already this year, they've changed their center back pairing four times in four games. Like if you don't know that right now, Teams shouldn't – or we should not trust you. I think the trust will come. I think the talent is there, but I think that's fair. Um, And I I do – I think Seattle are clearly in LAFC's category. Like, they are clearly the top two teams in this conference and then St. Louis' whatever they (laughs) will end up being. So I agree with you. Uh, If you're a KC fan still, even if in a month everyone's not back, the expectation that you are the home host whatever in the three-game series, I don't know what – term we're going to decide on for that, which means you're a top four seed. I think that's fair expectation still uh, for the team. They have historically shown they have a great home field advantage. They are good across the summer. They are normally pretty tied to their fundamentals. It used to be pressing, then it shifted to possession both ways. They sit on the extremes, which in MLS, as we talked about with St. Louis is a positive. So yeah, I agree with Joe on all of that. Um, and I would say when healthy, they should be able to match anyone in this league. So if it does turn out the way you said, Taylor, like this would be a team that would go into the playoffs and say, yeah, we could beat anyone.
1: Where would the Galaxy be on that sort of estimation Boom. ranking then? They, uh, Sporting Kansas City, 13th out of 14 in the West. And the Galaxy, 12th. Uh, Goss, you mentioned memes earlier. I think you referred to them as a meme club. You've already, I think, segued into how they're not playing particularly well. Uh, what's going up with the Galaxy.
3: So let's start with the protest. You have your fans protesting your front office outside the stadium. Oh, is that not good? Is that not a good, before the, a games, good thing? No? Before okay.
1: preseason games.
3: And you are sticking by someone who's suspended by the league for breaking the rules. It's not like this is an upstanding person and we have to fight for them. because, Like, they were found to be guilty of this thing. And they've won nothing in a really long time. Now we get into the conversation in sports, which is protection. If everyone's mad at him, then no one cares about the owner, right? This is the Stan Kroenke move at Arsenal, which is like, oh, it's Wenger's fault. So, like, let's just keep Wenger on so everyone hates him and no one notices that I'm not spending any money or (laughs) I'm not committed to the team or I'm not building things out. Um, And I think that's probably where we end up. Excuse me. Well, I get choked up about the LA Galaxy. I mean, I understand.
1: It's an emotional time.
3: It's an emotional time. They're really in my field. So. That, to me, like, that's its own thing. And then you just go into the season, and I said this, and so, yeah, maybe I'm jumping up and down because I think I'm right, and I could be wrong as the season goes along, but, like, Chris Mavinga was a bad defender in Major League Soccer last year. That was your solution at these positions that are key for an MLS team to have a high floor. You need to be stable at center back. You need to be able to trust your center backs in your system. It doesn't feel like they've done that. So now they're going to add under 22 attacking fullbacks. That's going to solve the issue of not being able to defend out of the back. Yeah. Like that feels – again, it just – it feels like the Galaxy are watching MLS and being like, this guy's good. This, and it worked for Orlando, so we'll do it. And it's like, well, Orlando has Antonio Carlos, Robin Janssen, Wilmer Cartagena, and like Araujo. Like they built a different team than you. And so just – it doesn't feel like anyone at the LA Galaxy – is operating in modern major league soccer and saying like, this is how you build a team. It's like, they're trying to do their own thing, but with no level of success. Douglas Costa is a 2009 MLS signing. Like, where are we with this team?
2: Yeah, it's, it's embarrassing to be honest for the galaxy right now. And I feel for their fans. The club is operating at a a level that's not befitting where they should be in the league. I, I will say, Two points of positivity here for me on the Galaxy. And and these were, well, at least one of these was a major reason why I had them finishing up so high in the Western Conference. I no longer think that will happen. I think they will still find their way up to the top half of the West. But, like, that's not at all where the expectation should be for this team. Like, that's a failed season, just to be very, very clear about that. But I will say, they do have more top-end talent than all but two teams in the Western conference. Like Ricky Puj is the most talented player in this league. And if they can find a way to get him like one good winger, Ricky Puj, that winger and whoever's playing center forward for the LA galaxy, that's like a, a really, really good attacking trio, like real good. So that's one side of this. I think they do have more talent, especially with how poor the, the middle and bottom of the West is, you know, this is, this is the year for the galaxy to kind of be crappy, but fall upwards into something like that. So that's one. The second thing is Will Koontz, who's a name that I'm guessing a lot of listeners don't know, but was uh, assistant general manager for LAFC and sort of helped build them into who they are now, along with John Thorrington. He, according to reports, I think Tom Bogart broke this over the weekend, he's going to be a part of the Galaxy's front office. I cannot express how desperately needed that was. The Galaxy needed someone competent in the front office. It is clearly not Chris Klein. Having Greg Vanney do double duty... Uh, is better than Chris Klein making those choices in my view, but it's still not ideal for for Vanny. It's not ideal for the Galaxy, and honestly, not sure like who's still calling the shots and whether or not those are the right shots that are being called. So, getting someone who has built something incredibly successful in this league into your front office, like this is needed. This needed to happen a long time ago. It's going to take time for this to actually matter for the Galaxy, but. As more, more so than any signing, individual signing they could have made, I think getting Kuntz into this club is going to pay dividends and actually going to make them into something less of a meme and a joke and into something that's more like the Galaxy that a lot of people still think they are.
3: The Galaxy didn't have a full scouting department like two years ago. This is something Peter Vermees was talking about a decade ago. Yeah, SKC challenging at the top of the West for the last decade. LA Galaxy. If Zlatan's not on the field, where have they been? Zlatan yeah. coming as a TAM player as well. Because they screwed up their cap and couldn't fit him in as a DP. And then probably, based off what we're seeing from the punishments to Chris Klein, they probably fudged those numbers. And were able to play four DPs just to be able to make the postseason. This is a team that's underperformed everything they've done for such a long time. Let me ask you about Ricky Pooch here, um, Joe. Because I watched the... Vancouver game, and he had the goal called back, fine. I don't know that goal scoring is is what you're relying on. It doesn't feel like there is a clear vision of where to find him and how to have him control the game. It feels Mm. like he is one of the two eights, and when he's on the ball, good things happen, but the team doesn't feel geared towards consistently getting him in the most dangerous spots.
2: I I think I'd push back on that. So my, my perception of Pooj is that he's a guy that's going to help you control games. He's not a number 10, right? No matter how much people around MLS want to tell you that he's a number 10, he's not, right? He is Taylor Knows. Yeah. No, no, not even. I've I've argued with a bunch of people about this. He doesn't play like a number 10 in the attack. He is a, a number eight, like one of two free eights along with Mark Delgado. So those, that's how the galaxy set up their attack. So Pooj is not consistently getting into zone 14, which you know what? is, is I think, probably the right call. You know, maybe it's not, and maybe Greg Vanney should play him as more of a traditional number 10 and a 4-2-3-1 and have him really go out there and make plays. But coming up at Barcelona, he played as a free 8. Like, he is a guy that's a, a ball mover, not necessarily a chance creator. And that manifests in his numbers last year, and I think it's already showing this year. So for me, Goss, what the Galaxy need to do, like, they're still finding him a ton. They're finding him a ton. He led the league in touches last year. Like, he got on the ball a bunch and through four games. I think a couple of weeks ago, he led... The game and touches, I don't have the numbers up for this one. I didn't, I didn't look it up coming into the show. But he's getting on the ball a lot. What the Galaxy need is someone to be the connective tissue between Puj and the number nines. Like, Puj is not always going to play those line-splitting through balls to find Jovalich in on goal. That's not his game. He's a guy that helps move the ball, helps progress into the final third. He's going to be the pass-before-the-pass guy. That's why I say the Galaxy need a winger, who's actually you know, an elite player in this league, that the ball can then move from Brugman or from the center backs into Puj on the left side of midfield. He's going to do a bunch of the heavy lifting that it's, it's not as sexy as I think everybody wants it to be, but he's going to be the guy who gets the ball then to the winger or, or to maybe there's a number 10 brought in or whatever that looks like, who then finds Jovovich or Chicharito. Not that he can't do other things, but for me, that's how you get the most out of Puj. It's not like the galaxy in my mind are using him incorrectly right now. It's that the roster is built incorrectly to actually harness The moments and the opportunities that Ricky Poole actually has the ball on the field.
1: Is this just the Galaxy, like, basically being in Los Angeles and using some creative bookkeeping? Like, if they were in a different city, are they in a lot more trouble? Because with all the problems you're talking about, all the things that they have done or not done, it feels... To me, again, with an outsider's perspective, as a team that just sort of rested on their laurels, assumed they would continue to attract the biggest names because they're L.A., because they're the L.A. Galaxy, and haven't done a lot of the essential things that other teams have already done, and thus they find themselves in this situation. Is that a fair encapsulation, or am I missing some things?
3: No, they're the Milan of Major League Soccer. They're a place people want to be with a history that they've heard of, and they will trip over into good players every once in a while. Yeah, and they kind of just sat on that as the rest of the league passed them by, and like what's frustrating on this, some of the other parts of it is they were an early adopter. Like they had the first two team in USL. Bruce Arena, a guy who we kind of joke about not willing to play young players, was the one who was the sporting director and was like, we should run a second team. I think they were the first team to put together a college program where they get where they have scholarships that they give out to Cal State Dominguez, which is. Where um the stadium sits on their campus, sort of in Carson. And like giving that, because I think that is a huge part of like convincing players to try and go pro. If they're gonna miss out on a college scholarship, you better find a way to supplement that. Like they've done things like that still over the last decade, which have been some of the better things, but it's LA. The only Academy kid in this team is Efra Alvarez, and he can't make it. So they haven't solved that side of things. They haven't become Philly or Dallas, right? I don't think people are complaining as much about the Red Bulls who are in a big market, quote unquote, but have leaned away from star players because they've made the playoffs 12 straight years because they've maximized their academy and their system and doing things a different way. Now, would you like them to have some balance where they do, set, you know, sign a big player every once in a while to get them over the top? Yes. And hopefully Van Zier that the Galaxy have gone in no direction. Since then. And they've just sort of faltered and sat there. And then you even like feel the comments coming out. Now, Greg Vanny in preseason at the protest was like, well, fans don't always get what they want. Okay. If you're not winning, then you cannot say that to fans who are upset that the suspended president of the team is still in charge of the team. And like a lot of this stuff just seems so disconnected from reality. And there are still things they do well. Like, They still promote themselves as well as anyone, right? As many celebrities in the world have LA Galaxy jerseys and have been to games as any other MLS team. Like, they are still the LA Galaxy. They are still known. If you go to Vietnam, you will see LA Galaxy jerseys. Like, they still are in this space. And I guess that's the most frustrating part
1: is it feels like they're wasting a lot of it. It's LA Galaxy and then Tampa Bay Mutiny jerseys. That's the uh, the ranking there. Joe, it could be worse for the Galaxy. Like At least they don't have sort of a crosstown rival who are also a star-studded uh, event uh, sort of team. Uh, it has to hurt a little bit, I think, that LAFC are looking as strong as they are. Uh, from what you said earlier, it sounds like even with St. Louis having the strong start that they, they've had, we still don't know enough yet. So are we basically penciling in, LA, penciling in LAFC and Seattle in the conference finals?
2: Uh, n- no, but I will pencil them into the one and two <laughs> like, in the West. I like trying I am, to force Joe into positions that he does not want <laughs> to advocate. It's super fun. I just don't want to predict the playoffs. It's, it's ultimately what it comes down to. Nine teams and all those best of three baseball. I mean, it's it's too much. It's too much. But top two in the West, absolutely. On quality, those teams are the best. They played to a nil-nil draw. This weekend, it was the game of the weekend based off of who's playing in it. But the quality wasn't because they basically neutralized each other, right? Neither team is the finished product right now. But you could see their identities very clearly. You could see how direct LAFC wanna be. Steve Trondolo is continuing, continuing to morph them into a very German, very Red Bully kind of team. They just have more top end talent to actually, you know, find solutions when that route one stuff doesn't work. They didn't really find solutions over the weekend though because Seattle are so good. Like defensively, they're so compact. They know when to press. They know when to drop. They have the top end talent to play through you as well in possession. Both of these teams are are so so good. They're very well built rosters. Yeah, these two teams, for me, are probably the two best teams in MLS. I talked about how poor the West is. I think the top of the West is better than the East, and I think almost the rest of the East is better than the West. Like That's kind of how I'm thinking about it. Right now, of the teams that have really impressed me so far, it is Seattle and it's LAFC.
1: Josh, same for you?
2: Yeah, I would say at the top of the West, those two teams,
3: and I would add, both have built trust in Playoffs and knockout moments, right? Seattle are the kings of rising to that occasion, even when they're playing bad. Now they're not, um, and LAFC as well. Now have you know they they've been to a CCL final. Um, it feels like they could make a run again this year. Unknown, whatever. They'll have the Leagues Cup. They already are in a buy out of the group stage, so they'll get a couple high level knockout games there. Uh, and they won MLS Cup last year. So they've shown they've both shown they can win in postseason situations. Um, they've both done it with a lot of the players that are on their team. Seattle, to me, is the deepest team in MLS when it comes to being able to replace starters. So I think they will remain at the top of the West throughout most of the year. And then with LAFC, it's like some of the things they do aren't as mind blowing as they could be. Like they are LA. We just talked about it. Dennis Bouanga is going to want to come live in LA and play in LA. Like they have that that. St. Louis can't sell. Cincinnati can't sell, right? Other cities don't have. Um, but Stipe Buick looks like they nailed it. And so if they continue to hit on signings, then they're going to continue to be successful. They still have a DP spot open. Like, that's what we're talking about here. Is the Galaxy are like, strap but for cash, filled roster, and LAFC have, like, open spots And are continuing to push things. So I would expect those two teams to be at the top. And I will give a shout to my FC Dallas. Uh,
1: Speaking of Texas, who would you all be more comfortable saying is going to finish closer to the bottom, Houston or Montreal? Montreal? Oh, that's not where I thought that was going. I thought you were going yeah, Houston or Austin. And I was I was about to uh, I was about to dip. Um Houston or Montreal. Oh, Joe, you want you want to include sorry, Joe I just want to make this clear. Joe wants to include Austin in the worst teams in the league conversation. <laughs> Joe, so go ahead and you want to defend Austin as being one of the most uh, or cl- teams closest to the bottom at the end of the season is that what I heard? Kinda, I kind of do. Don't tell me, Taylor.
2: <laughs> um We could say that for another time. You I would plan say Montreal on, going on vacation to Austin anytime <laughs> soon. I can tell. No, I don't. I don't. I can get barbecue other places. Although I would like to go to Austin. I've heard it's. I've heard it's nice. Um Montreal will be my answer to that. They get a, a crazy win. People can go watch the the VAR stuff. They can watch Jim Curtin's reaction. It's on. It's on Twitter. Um But they beat the Philadelphia Union. And that was a massive win for them. Like, it finally got them on the board. It, it it was a necessary moment for this club. I still just don't think they're a very good team. Like, they're they're old in the middle of the field. They're old at the top. They're inexperienced at attacking midfield. Eh, I, I'm not sure that Hernan Lozada is a good coach that's going to maximize this team. I, they do have a way of playing. Like, they're trying to build with the ball, but that really wasn't his thing with DC. So, I, I'm not... I'm just not there on Montreal right now. I think Houston are going to be a bit more pragmatic, and they have more veteran players that are going to continue to raise the level of the team. I think Montreal, too many of their most important players are going to have to be their young players. And I'm just not sure the top-end talent's there anymore.
3: I will flip this. I have more confidence in Montreal than Houston. Um, There are pieces in Montreal that I have seen be successful in MLS. I can't really say that about Houston. So as much as I believe in some of the talent, and I agree with Joe about... The veteran nature of it, and they are building to win now more. Win now is probably in quotes because they're not trying to win MLS Cup. But like, if it comes to July and the window is open and they have a, a, you know, an angle at making the playoffs, they will make the moves they can make to do that. Where Montreal, if Nathan Saliba crushes it for the next three months and, you know, I don't know, Beneveto comes in, they'll sell him. So the danger, I think, is in choosing Montreal, but I still take this roster over them. I I still think they will have. uh, I'm still hopeful that the combining Hernan Losada with Wilfred Nance DNA squad is special in Major League Soccer. You know, Kyoto has scored a ton of goals in this league. Wanyama is probably a better player than anyone on Houston's roster. Like that back three or five, they just brought Corbo back. That's better than what Houston can put out there. So there are holes in both these teams, but... I said it for the first four weeks. Montreal didn't play a home game. This is a home heavy league. They went and lost, you know, in Miami where they outplayed them. They went and lost in Austin on a you know, breakaway 87th minute goal after playing Austin to a shutout on the road. Like they put together decent performances. They just didn't get results. Cause that's the nature of this league. And then they go home and beat Philly and yeah, it was crazy and wild and all that stuff. But, they beat Philadelphia at home. Most teams in this league won't do that. That's three points they got that other teams won't be able to match.
1: Uh I was going to say I like the idea of randomly like kind of making you all defend one team or the other. So my other question for you, David, I'll start with you this time. Which team makes the playoffs? Are you more confident makes the playoffs? DC United or the Columbus Crew?
3: columbus no question no question (laughs) that's not even a debate on that one
1: i know but i wanted it to be And there's no other teams that i feel like throwing into that conversation all right joe you pit one for for goss then which one's the trickier one dc or
2: uh dc so i'm trying to pull up the eastern conference standings Um, uh it's tricky because we already talked about montreal we already talked about charlotte a little bit dc or chicago
3: I was like, don't do do it. I don't care
1: for that. Um, I don't care for that. No, I'll do that one.
3: I'll do that one. I'll say DC. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I think DC, it at least feels like the players Wayne Rooney wants. There are there. So he is committed to making that work. And he has a connection with a decent amount of these players from before he got to DC. He has given kids opportunities once he's there. Um, Again, if Benteke is somewhat healthy, he's probably the best player in the conversation between the two teams. And so I think I feel fairly comfortable with DC. I mean, Lewis O'Brien, right? Like, this is a move they made yesterday where they brought this guy on loan from Nottingham Forest, who's been a really good player in the championship, pretty much because of Wayne Rooney. Like, he – Nottingham was like, we're not going to play you. Most windows are closed around the world. He needs somewhere to go to play. They kind of accepted, hey, we want to do right by you. We're going to send you somewhere you can play. And it's just came down to Wayne Rooney, and so like they have that going for them. On top of, I think they are a more veteran squad with pieces that have been around. Steve Burnbaum has been around in this league. Tyler Miller, for all the holes in his game, has at least been around in this league. And so it feels like they have more depth. It feels like they're more cohesive, uh, more talent and
1: uh they don't have to play in soldier field. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Joe one for you, uh final one. Uh Toronto or Columbus who makes
2: the playoffs? Oh my gosh. This is a this is a good game, but I also hate this game. <laughs> this um, is a better <laughs>
3: one. This is the best one so far.
2: <laughs> this is this is good. Oh my gosh. I think they'll both make the playoffs. Can I do that? Is that no. is that allowed? Okay. It, um, which one is more likely who finishes higher? I think that Toronto will finish higher, but I <laughs> okay. really, I really don't know. Uh, is if this I me to back p- picking my March Madness bracket at
1: this point, i just like, I th- I think I we're a little I'm bit in that I zone. Is, so the other team? Hmm, let's click this one. They're orange. Um,
2: I'm gonna, I'm gonna go say with Toronto because I, I think the top end talent is there, and there's still, you know, the next month in this transfer window and another transfer window, even though they have no roster flexibility, as as best I can tell. You know, there's still room for them to get in there and maybe take some pieces out, bring some pieces in. You can tell I don't <laughs> like this argument. I, I just think the top and talent is there relative to Columbus. Columbus, it's going to take them a while to figure out how to play Nance's way. I thought the game against the Red Bulls over the weekend was particularly revealing. You can see the baseline quality just isn't there to play through like a really good team. You know, the Red Bulls, I'm not sure, are a really good team, but their press is really good. Like they know what they're doing, they know how they want to approach games. And in the build up to Venzier's goal, Elliot McKinley pointed this out on Twitter. Like they lost the ball three times in the span of 30 seconds in their own half. Like if you do that over and over again, you're going to get punished. And I, I'm just not sure that with Aiden Morris in midfield and Quinton in the back line and, and Degenek, I don't think is a very good player either. Like the talent's just not there. Toronto, the talent isn't there either with their depth, but at least it's there with the starting 11, maybe like one through 14. If Toronto can get more of those guys on the field than we've seen over the first month, which should be possible, it would be difficult to have fewer of those players on the field than they already have had to start the season, then I think Toronto's ceiling is, is higher. I'm not as high on on them as I was to start the year, but I think I'm still higher on their ceiling than I am on Columbus's ceiling. But yeah, I, I really hated all of that. That's This is good. I like this, Taylor.
3: <laughs> I flipped that uh,
2: one, by the way. I yeah. say
3: Columbus.
1: All right. Then uh, when when Toronto make it ahead of Columbus, I'm I'm sure you'll be laminated and posterized and all those things. Uh, Uh, My final my final final (laughs) question for you. Oh no, I just I you know I'm I'm then trying to think of other combinations that don't make fan bases uh, (laughs) depressed because I was trying to find one for Colorado and it was sort of tricky. Sorry, Colorado. I did click on the Colorado homepage only to find out that uh, one of their players just tore his ACL. So these are their most
2: important player. Their most important player tore his ACL.
1: Which if he sucks. was healthy, really
3: I would – I still feel okay about Colorado, but without him, um, mm-hmm. it's t- – Ralph Bresow came on the field, dragged a guy down from behind, and that free kick led to the losing goal. So, you know, it's like one of those combos you don't love to see.
2: And and just to be clear, when Goss says he feels okay, and I, you can correct me if, you're wrong, if I'm wrong on this, I feel like you mean like eighth or ninth yeah. in the West? I think I picked and, them like seventh or eighth in preseason. And basically, for all of these, like, will they make the playoffs? Discussions maybe outside of Toronto, Columbus. So I think their ceilings are a bit higher. Like that's what we're talking about here. So Goss defending DC or me defending Toronto, like it's not not because we really think that they're good, but because they might be a little bit better than that other bad team. So yeah, just just want to make that clear that uh, I don't I don't really put a lot of stock in many of these clubs.
1: On that note, I've pivoted from my what was going to be my final question to just make Joe even more uncomfortable, Joe. You've mentioned, what, Seattle, LAFC, Philly as being... Who who am I leaving out as being your obvious uh, Supporter Shield
2: or MLS Cup contenders? I think Cincinnati are probably close to that group, but Mm -hmm. I I don't think I'd expand it much more than that. Okay, thank you for that. Which
1: team that isn't one of those four teams are you most comfortable saying could be an MLS Cup?
2: Uh, I'm looking through the list now. (laughs) Atlanta are close. They're darn close. NYCFC are are pretty darn close as well. I'll say both of those. I think they're in the next tier down below. Goss, I listened to some of your thoughts on Atlanta yesterday and I agree with all of them. Like do it do it against someone good. But I mean the talent is there. Like they've been impressive. There's no midfield in this team yet that hasn't been exposed because their two best performances have come against Portland with like five healthy starters and Charlotte, who are or both of those teams are just not very good. So I want to see Atlanta prove it, and I, I think it's important that they keep amata for the year for the sake of their ability to compete. Whether that's the most important thing or not is a different discussion. But Atlanta are good and NYCFC are just really good. Like what I said about them before the season started has pretty much all come to pass. Like they've they've figured out some signings. They still play good soccer. They still have a talent advantage on all but maybe those four or five other teams that are in this discussion. They're They're going to be near the top of the East for the whole season.
1: Uh, since Joe has taken those two do you have another one to add or would you like to go with one of those
3: No, you know I'm going with my Texas boys you know I'm FC Dallas on this thing till I die the whole way I think they have the most depth they are cohesive they have a coach that has buy-in across the roster they do have an open DP spot I don't know that they will use it they are not a team that has but they do have that if they need to improve the squad and I think when you look at Uh, The two teams that Joe just mentioned, Atlanta and NYCFC. Well, on the Atlanta side, the Almada thing is a huge question mark. Like, we're hearing record transfers this summer. So if they don't have him, I think it's pretty hard to assume that they'll make it to MLS Cup. On the NYCFC side, a lot of the trust they've built over years has been the historical knowledge of Sean Johnson and Maxi Morales and Alex Collins and all these players who have been there before. The talent is there. The experience is not anymore. So I think for NYCFC, when you talk about the way the summer affects you, the way travel affects you, changing home stadiums three or four times over the course of a season, playing in the playoffs. These are things that have been advantages for NYCFC because they've had more knowledge. And I think a lot of that's gone away. And one of the things you see, especially in MLS, because of the spending cap, is it's hard to build teams on young players because you need them to perform every single time. And Atalas Magno will disappear for two games. Agabi Pereira will disappear for two games. If that's the same game, that's a loss. They don't have the depth to cover for them. So I look at FC Dallas, and you look at Sebastian Lejet and Paul Ariola. And so if Jesus Ferreira falls off, if Alan Velasco has a tough two games, those are players who can step up and carry you in that moment. And I thought just the 15 minutes we saw from Jesus Jimenez this weekend – He's going to be a factor. I think he's going to make them better. He gives them more options. Like this team could play their front five or six in all, all of them in five different positions, depending on the opponent, the matchup, who's healthy, who's fit, all those types of things. So I really like this Dallas team. I'd love for them to just splash on a new level defensive midfielder. I don't know if it'll happen, but if it did, I think it would take them from where they are into the FC Cincinnati conversation.
1: Those were both, Thought out, well reasoned arguments. Unfortunately, they were both incorrect. The answer is the Vancouver Whitecaps. That was the answer we were looking for. Uh, look the original, all. all caps. Hey, you brought it <laughs> home. We have we have uh, had a time on this episode. We've we've brought up Gio Reyna and his ability to mature. We teased Austin. We poured gasoline on the LA Galaxy. Uh, we loved praise on St Louis. We really just created just a lot of destruction in our wake on this episode, so I look forward to the various fan bases letting us know how they feel about it. Joe Lowry, thank you for all of your many thoughts today, my friend yeah, right back at you Taylor and Mr. positivity never a storm cloud on the horizon. David Goss, thank you for your thoughts as well, my friend I am always here
3: Dun, ta-dun, 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 ta-dun.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Scoring himself, David Goss. Uh, Listeners, thanks so much for listening. We very much appreciate it, and we will talk to you again tomorrow.